0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today is our last day to be studying on the subject of the Bible in national defense. What does the Bible say about defending yourself? Is it a right to carry a weapon with you? So many people say yes, so many people say no. Aren't we supposed to totally trust in God? We'll find out from the Word of God today what the Word of God has to say about carrying a weapon.
1: For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello,
0: this is Bob Yandian. Thank you again for coming and joining me for Student of the Word today. And today we are in the last part. I think we're in the last part. If it goes any longer than this, well, I don't think it will. But this will be the last in my series I've been doing on the Bible and national defense. Great offering of a book. I've had this book out for years, and there's times it sells well, times it doesn't sell well. But man, when the world is falling apart, it looks like our nation is under attack. The book sells well. Why? Because people want to know if we go to battle. There's something inside I need to go to battle. But sometimes we have these biblical, and honestly, we think, you know, maybe we shouldn't go to battle, the Bible talks about, and we'll discuss in this broadcast, what about thou shalt not kill? Well, this book helps to explain all those things. Why we go to battle, why God is even called a God of battle, why there's times when in the Word of God we're supposed to go to battle, when there's God-backed battle. And he will fight with us in there and even kill the enemy when we come through, as we started out in this very series out of Hebrews chapter 11, that they crushed underfoot the armies of the aliens or the armies of the enemy. And so... We've been discussing that. Now, this is the fifth of the broadcast. This should be the last one. We'll see as we get to the end. Don't know, sometimes I get carried away or the Holy Spirit leads me in another direction. We'll just see what we have today. So open with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. If you don't want to turn there, I'll just quote part of the verse anyway. In Exodus twenty thirteen, we have of the commandments of the 10 commandments, one that's quoted quite often when people say, I'm not supposed to kill in battle because the Bible says thou shalt not kill. And we take that and make it something that hangs over everything. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 3 that seemingly contradicts that. And that is there is a time to kill and there is a time to heal. Well, does the Bible contradict itself? The answer is no. If you think the Bible contradicts itself, tell yourself the Bible does not contradict itself, I'm wrong, the Bible's right. Hang in there long enough and you'll find the explanation to it. The reason why is we have two different words for kill here. And in the Hebrew, we have one here in Exodus 20, 13, thou shalt not kill, and the Hebrew word is sack. And the word doesn't mean to kill, it means to murder or commit homicide. It's a specific type of killing that the God said is wrong. So is there a time to kill? Yes. The time to kill when it's not murder, when it's not homicide, and that's found in Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse three, there is a time to kill. And the Hebrew word there is harag, H-A-R-A-G. And the word means just there's times for killing in general but there's also a time, it says, a time to heal. So we have a difference here in the verse of Scripture. And honestly, if you're confused about Exodus 20:13 that says, thou shalt not kill. Put your King James Bible down and pick up a different translation. Here you'll find it says, thou shalt not murder. Now, the point of it is, even in the King James, it's correctly translated in Matthew 19, 18, where Jesus met the rich young ruler. And when the rich young ruler said, which verses should I do? He said, I've, I've, kept all these commandments, and Jesus quoted some of them, and he quoted this particular one, and in the King James, for once in the King James, it's correctly translated, thou shalt do no murder. This is a commandment against homicide. In other words, there is a time to kill, but there's never a time to commit murder. What is murder? Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 17 defines murder, hands that shed innocent blood. Well, if it's wrong to shed innocent blood, then it must be acceptable at times to shed guilty blood. Ah, there's where we find it. The difference between innocent blood and guilty blood. And so we come back to it, you know, here in these verses of scripture, it's simply telling us in these verses of scripture that abortion is wrong. Why? Because that's the shedding of innocent blood. And so innocent blood would be a child, again, in the womb, a child or somebody's done nothing wrong and they're just standing in your way. You want the possessions they have. You're greedy after them and you hate them in your own personal life, but they've done nothing wrong. And so that's why this verse is in there. And so also, if it's acceptable by God to shed guilty blood, well, what times are okay? There's three times in the word of God that God condones killing in the word of God. And every time it's got to do with guilty blood, not innocent blood. The first one is self-defense. In fact, even in the 10 commandments, there's a time there where it says that self-defense is fine to protect yourself, protect your family. And I would say in this case, it's fine to have locks on your front door. That's fine. It, I mean, how in the world can you say you trust in God, you say, and then have locks on your door, you know, or or have, a, have an alarm system in your house. Do it, just have it, because that's like having a gun in your house. It's a point where a person would think twice about coming into your home. And Jesus even mentioned this. He says, hard to break into a well-armed man's house. He was defending the fact that it's fine to have defenses around your your things that you own because there's people who want to come in and steal them. And if you don't have self-defense in that case, you become an open target for them. I believe in carrying guns. I believe in, in not only having guns, being able to put them on your belt, strap them there, I've mentioned this before. My wife and I have led people into Israel, gone there before. And one of the greatest things we saw was the, in the evening when we didn't tour, we were allowed to go into Jerusalem, just go shopping. And we went to Ben Yehuda Street, which is the main street there, filled, filled with these people, filled with, with uh, young women, young men on the streets, you know, that were part of the military with rifles there to protect us. But also to notice we had, I saw dads pushing their babies down the street and a gun strapped to their belt. And I thought, what we should be able to do, is to, the citizens be able to defend themselves with a gun and not have to call the police and wait for them to get there, wait for the military to get there, because oftentimes it's all over. By that time, you might be dead. You need to have that with you. So again, the first time a killing in the word of God is condoned is self-defense. The next one found old and New Testament also is capital punishment, that there comes a time when the guilty have done something so bad that they've committed a capital crime. There's many crimes in the word of God that are not capital crimes, but there's some that are so bad that the taking of a life has to come. And that's important. So capital punishment is condoned by the word of God. And then what we have been studying for the past four lessons, including today, now number five is times of war. And the Bible condones killing during those cases. But remember again, that there is a time to kill. That's again, shedding guilty blood. But there is a time to heal, heal. But when the when the Bible says thou shalt not kill, it's actually talking about there's never a time to commit murder, hands that shed innocent blood. So military trains you continually from the time that you get there to kill. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 3 says again, there is a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Notice this is one verse. I want to quote that again. Ecclesiastes three three. there's a time to kill, and there's a time to heal, a time to tear down or break down, and a time to build up. The purpose of the military in this verse of scripture is twofold. Kill people and break things. That's exactly what this verse says. There is a time to kill. There is a time to heal. There's a time to tear down everything inside. Then there's a time to go back and rebuild. And I think one of the greatest things about our nation is we go in and destroy and destroy nations, drop bombs on them. But where the first ones to want to come back and help them to rebuild after it's all over. After we've driven the, the enemies out, we come to those innocent people that have lost building and lost life and do everything we can to help come back and build them up again. This is what the Word of God has to say. There is a time to kill then there's a time to heal. There is a time to tear down and break down, but there's also a time to come and to build back up. Again, the twofold purpose of the military, kill people, break things, and then come back afterwards and help restore back to the people again. Humanitarian, I think it's great when the military, is also involved in humanitarian things that we can show there's not just one side of us we've come to kill the bad people. We've also come back to help the good people build back up. You say also, Didn't Jesus tell Peter not to carry a sword? or he would die by the sword? The answer is yes, he told him that, but that's not what it means. He didn't mean here, don't carry a sword because listen, what you sow, you're gonna reap. If you carry a sword and kill people, then somebody's gonna kill you with a sword. Well, that's kind of what it says, but that's kind of not what it says. Let's take a look at the verse of scripture, Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 and verse 52. Understand what was happening. Jesus here was being arrested and Peter was the hothead. He was the one that usually spoke out, yelled, did things that he shouldn't do again he's later on settled down in fact the peter here and the peter that ended up denying the lord he reacted exactly the opposite direction there here he tries to defend jesus there he tried to run away from jesus is not even hardly the same peter we find in first and second peter where he so mellowed out became a man of the word a trusting man of the word of god and became stable but back in the time when he followed jesus and even up until the time of the crucifixion peter was really unstable and uh, this same man, though, just a few days later on the day of Pentecost, preached one incredible sermon. So to me, that's the mercy of God. But let's talk about Peter here for just a minute. Jesus is now being arrested in the garden and the disciples are there and Peter just suddenly rises up and listen, he is so angry that they're trying to arrest this innocent man called Jesus because he's been falling for threes. He knows he's innocent and the the, his, the anger rises up in him and he draws out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the soldier who's coming to arrest Jesus. And listen, I think he was headed for his head. I think he was going to cut him on the neck and cut his head off. That's what he was going after. And I think the power of God came in and to where only cut off the ear of this man. And what was great, Jesus just picked up the ear and put it on the side of his head and healed him right there on the spot. Jesus just took away the evidence of something that could have got him in trouble. And Jesus wanted to be a totally innocent man. And this man was coming to arrest an innocent man. And Peter, stepped in and caused the thing to happen to where Jesus could now look like he was uh, guilty. But with the again, putting that ear back on the head, suddenly the proof was gone. But let's take a look at the verses of scripture, Matthew chapter 26, verse 51 and 52. And suddenly one of those, that's Peter, who was with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. What did Jesus mean? He simply met Peter, what you just did was criminal. He said, this man wasn't doing anything wrong. He's just doing his job. He's coming to it. Let the courts handle this. And even though the courts are going to end up being wrong, and they're going to accuse me and crucify me for something I never did, he said, it's still got to go through the legal things. Why? Because we render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God. And you you out your sword to come in anger against this man. I understand your anger, but this man was not the one to do this to. So Jesus said, put your sword up for all those who take the sword will perish by the sword. Those who take the sword means those who make their living by a sword. This is a criminal. He said, you've just done a criminal act. And by doing a criminal act, then they're going to have the right to take your life by capital punishment. And the sword here in Matthew is also speaking the same Sword found in the book of 1 Corinthians, where it talks about that they have the sword, the the government has the sword, and do not carry it in vain. He was simply saying, Those who are criminals will die by the sword, capital punishment. And by Jesus removing it, he not only saved himself from getting, uh, you know, and going to court and and them actually having something against him, but he also saved Peter because, again, the proof was just erased. When we come back from halftime, we'll take up right where we left off. What about when Jesus said, Turn the other cheek.
1: What does the Bible have to say about war and the price of our freedom? Should Christians fight to defend their country? Is world peace even possible? In the Bible and National Defense, Bob Yandian discusses the Bible's answer to these questions as well as how we, as Christians, are to pray for our nation and our leaders. Topics include the purpose of government, crime and immorality, capital punishment, separation of church and state, and freedom and war. The strength of a nation is the people of God. By prayer and applying God's Word, we can make a difference. To order the Bible and national defense, visit our website at bobbyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified, redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation,
0: In Matthew chapter five, verses nine through 12, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know what a peacemaker is? It's a witness, someone who witnesses for Jesus. And uh, by witnessing for Jesus, this is actually the ministry of reconciliation. And he's saying here, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. This is a verse starting out with witnessing here, and notice it doesn't say that witnessing makes you a child of God. It lets it be known you are a child of God. They shall be called by other people, the sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward or your treasures in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. What's Jesus saying? You can bank on it in life, you're going to have troubles and trials, especially when you decide you can go out and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan, first of all, hates the fact that you receive Jesus, but more than that, he hates the fact that you start bringing others to Jesus and others to heaven. It's been said of this, a convert is one that's going to heaven, but one who witnesses, A disciple is one who takes others to heaven with him. And so Satan really launches into high mode when you decide, I'm going to become a witness for Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a disciple and act like it and lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when you begin to get persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice this. He said, blessed those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen. If you're being persecuted because you're just being obnoxious, that's not righteousness. sake. I know many Christians who are just obnoxious. They come in and they'll get right in your face and tell you, you're going to hell. You need to accept Jesus. This is the wrong way to witness. We witness by the love of God. You can, again, attract more flies or get things done by honey than by, you know, with poison. It simply comes back to this. You don't need to come to a person in anger. You need to come in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, you tell them that they're a sinner, but God has an answer for that. You're born a sinner. God wants you to be reborn into a child of God. But he said, blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you. Listen, if you are witnessing to the Lord and you're doing it for righteousness sake, hang on, there's going to be people coming against you because this is Satan's plan. They want to discourage you. They want to have false witness against you. They want to speak at you from every angle and accuse you for things you never did. But verse 12 says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You may not see the rewards of what you're doing down here. You may not see it when these people eventually accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you will see it in heaven. You'll see the reward of the person that's there because you witnessed them. but you'll also see the reward in heaven because there's a soul winner's crown as part part of the rewards in heaven. But let's go on in chapter five, down to verse 38 through 41, because here Jesus amplifies on what he has just said. In verse 38, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that's true. He says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and to- take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Now this verse is not saying when someone comes in, punches you in the face, that you're supposed to turn the other cheek. No, it's for the sake of the gospel. The verses before amplify this when do you turn the other cheek? When somebody slaps you for being a Christian, when somebody persecutes you for the gospel, don't you dare fight back. God will defend you. God will defend the gospel. You don't need to step in in God's place. Now, if a person's just picking on you, such as one nation coming in and coming against you to pick on you and take away what you've got, fight back. It's the same way in life if some, if you're kind of a shrimp, you're kind of young, you're kind of small, you're kind of small in stature, you don't have a lot of strength, then go learn how to defend yourself. Uh, my sister is one that, I mean, growing up, she went and took karate, became a fifth level black belt. And I mean, you know, people are the, how can you be a Christian and do that? Well, she wanted to do it, but she's, again, it is not offense, it's defense. She has ways. In fact, her daughter, again, took it. And uh, my niece and what happened with her was she was outside a place one time and men started picking on her. She's attractive. They start picking on her. And one of them came to her half drunk and started pushing on her and pushing on her. And she just went and leveled him. She took and swept her leg around his legs. And he was down on the ground in no time. And people around applauded her. That's great. So again, when it comes to self-defense, the Bible is filled with things on self-defense, national or personal. Again, when somebody just picks on you and comes against you. But when it's for the sake of the gospel, give it over to the Lord. The Lord said, I will be your protector. I will fight for you. I will defend you. God is your Defense. So that's what it's talking about here. So you don't take this verse of scripture and say, well, we're being attacked by a foreign enemy. They want me to go and get in the military. No, no, no. I, if they slap me on one cheek, I'm going to turn my other cheek. If anyone wants to sue me and take away my coat here, I'll just let them have everything I have. This verse is telling you that's for the sake of the gospel. God will see to it you're provided back. Turn the other cheek when you're persecuted for the sake of the gospel because why? God is your defense. All other cases. Learn self-defense carry a weapon. You say, is it scriptural that we should own weapons? The answer is yes, yes, double yes. I mean, from the word of God, it's fine to own weapons, but again, not to go after people and go after them simply because you want to. In other words, this again is offense, not defense. Scripturally, should we own weapons? The answer is yes. Jesus told his own disciples to buy weapons before he left. You said, oh, he never did. Yes, he did. Luke chapter 11 and verse 21. He not only told them before to take the gospel out there, he not only told them to take, you know, and have food and things like that and go to these places and preach the gospel. He also told them there's gonna be times when people, be uh, there'll be robbers on the side of the road. I mean, this happened throughout the word of God. You know, the two that were crucified next to Jesus, these guys, I mean, although it says they were thieves, they're not common thieves. Like They did, they weren't on the cross because they robbed a 7-Eleven down the street. No, that's not a capital crime. But the, when it says they were thieves hanging on the cross next to him, these are the same type of thieves that Jesus spoke about. When Jesus gave the story of the Good Samaritan, he said, this man came walking down a road and, and it said thieves came and attacked him and did three things to him. They robbed from him, they stole from him, they left him half dead. And so Jesus there was talking about those types of thieves, those that wait and they simply wanna attack you for no reason, except they want your possessions. In that case, learn to defend yourself, okay? But again, we find that in the word of God. So Jesus told his disciples, you're gonna go out and preach the gospel. There's gonna be some that, that listen, they're not gonna persecute you because you come to witness. They're gonna see you coming. They want everything you have. They're gonna want your coat. They're gonna want your possessions. And they're going to attack you. If somebody attacks you just because they wanna kill you and steal from you, those types of thieves, he said, carry a weapon. Luke chapter 11 and verse 21 tells us Jesus told his disciples just before he left to go buy weapons and be well armed. Luke 11:21 21, he says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. He's simply saying it's fine to own weapons, it's fine to own arms to fight and guard against those people that just simply want to come in and steal from you. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. How can one enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. He said, if you have, he said, guard your house, man. Have, you know, have an alarm system, have locks on your door. Those things are fine. In fact, I've heard of Christians say, Well, we don't even leave our doors locked. Well, that's an open invitation for people to come and steal your goods that God has given you money for. Others have controlled into your life. You've gone to a job and worked for it. Why in the world wouldn't you protect it in the first place? You should protect those. So he's simply saying here that, in other words, if there's homes on your block that can be broken into, make yours a harder one to get into because they'll go to an easier one to get into it rather than yours. So it's fine here, he said. How can you enter into a, a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. You have to be able to turn that alarm system off. You have to be able to disarm it. Then you have to come in and understand there's going to be weapons in there. The man that you're stealing from could be sitting there with a rifle in his hand as he's rocking in his rocking chair and kill you. So that's the type of things you want to protect your home and to protect your life from someone who wants to kill you. But what about, again, carrying a weapon as he told his disciples. Did Jesus actually tell them to do that? Yes, in Luke chapter twenty two. We start out in Luke eleven, twenty one, where he talks about being fully armed, and Matthew twelve twenty nine, how that you need to be armed so that no one can plunder your goods. But here we find it also when Jesus even told his disciples to carry a weapon. How often do your Christians say, well, I don't think I should have a weapon. That's a wrong thing to do. No, Luke chapter 22 and verse 36 says this. He, Jesus, speaking to them, that is disciples, said, he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. If you're going to be carrying a money bag, and a knapsack with you. What is that? That's a target for thieves. They go, look, he has a money bag on his side there. You know those money pouches that people have? Man, there's thieves that look for things like that. They can even recognize under your clothing when you have a money bag on you. They probably seen you, they watch you when you stand there and buy something and you open up your wallet and they see lots of dollar bills in there, hundreds in there, fifties in there, and they see you thumbing through it and they find, you know, a Coke with something and they mark you and they're gonna come along later and steal from you. They see you look at your watch, they look at your watch and want that. And Jesus said, Look, it's all right to have a money bag. It's all right to have a knapsack where your clothing is in there, and your and your goods are in there. You might even have some gold in there. You might even have, again, some nice jewelry in there. He says, and he says, But you have no sword. He said, Listen, a sword is so important for the natural side of life that if people just want to steal from you, go and sell a piece of clothing to buy one. Man, if you if if a sword's gonna cost you so much money, you say, Yeah, but I have a good shirt here. Well, why? good's a shirt going to do you if someone attacks you? Go sell your garment, go sell your shirt, go sell your pants and buy yourself a weapon and a sword and put it next to you and carry it with you. So he's simply saying it's all right as a Christian for the natural side, but don't use that sword to make people accept Jesus. Don't pull it out and put it up next to their throat and say, well, accept Jesus or I'm going to kill you. I heard a story one time, I was at Full Gospel Businessmen, and this biker gang had got saved and they actually would take, and when they got saved, they would go and take uh, men, take them in the bathroom and dunk their head in the toilet and say, accept Jesus or I'm going to leave you down here and I'm going to, you know, drown you. Well, the point of it was they might accept Jesus in the outside, but were they really accepting him on the inside? No, that's not what to do. Well, I'm simply coming back to this. Pastors, I'm speaking to you right now. There's no better place to raise up new military converts and recruits than in the local church. I think you should teach on these things about going to war, protecting yourself, having, again, weapons in your own home, but using weapons correctly and going defending your nation. And the best place to bring them out of is the church. Those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and those who can rightly divide the word of truth for their own life. With all these, I think that you've understood in these past five lessons, be sure and get the book. It'll greatly amplify the things that I have taught and instruct you in them so you can instruct others also. And for those of you that want the book to give to your relatives or in the military, please do so. The announcer will tell you how you can have a copy for your own.
1: You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.